Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Why is it so important that you want to contact the governments of our Earth? Because of death. Because all you of Earth are idiots. Now you just hold on, Buster. No, you hold on. In a world where insanity reigns supreme and safety pin manufacturers are running out of metal for the diapers of the leftists, it's comforting to know an ancient, fat, long-haired, bearded reprobate has your mind in mind. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Broadcasting behind enemy lines in occupied California. And despite every attempt by the SHR Media Network to revoke his shameless contract, we return to the bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the Bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon Radio Show, live and direct right here from the SHR Media Networks. I'm sorry, the sumptuous, palatial, and resplendent SHR Media Studios, where I am broadcasting behind enemy lines in occupied California, two miles, literally, two miles east of the locus of evil on the entire left coast. That's the Bill Mill, the Capitol building at 10th and L Street in Sacramento, where late at night you can hear the death of common sense. It's actually audible. Then when I leave the studio at about 10.30 or so at night, you can smell the stench, the odiferous stench of sulfur and brimstone emanating from that evil building. You got a belly up to the bar. We've kept your seat, and it's great to see you back. Tonight is 9-19-19. That'll never happen again. The year of our Lord, 2019. Fluffy's going to be your bartender tonight. He pours for the best of them. The lava lamp is, in fact, lighted to my right, your left. And I got to tell you this. We don't water our drinks just like we don't water our conversation. Politics, religion, crime, culture, economics, race, sex, science, law. We talk about it all here at the saloon. Nothing is sacred. The speech is free, but the booze is not. We just ask for one thing. You flush the toilet, jiggle the handle, and don't forget to tip your waitress. This is going to be a great show tonight, and I'm glad everybody has tuned in. Already the chat room is filling up. Welcome to, hey, BZ. Welcome to Simone, Jack, Wendy, and Mike. Early risers, if nothing else. 
The first hour is going to go similar to this. We're going to have someone I've never had on before, and we're going to listen to someone the likes of whom I've never had on before and probably will never again. That's a candidate for president for next year in 2020. Uh, The gentleman's name is uh, Lee Newton Rhodes. And once we get through speaking to him in the second hour, because we're talking about government, how it functions, etc., we'll be doing an in-depth investigation into the Electoral College. What is it? How does it work? How does it function? Um, I think that you'll have some, I believe you'll have a great understanding of how it works, how it functions. For reference, because this is a great place, I keep saying this, if you have never been to Prager University, it has five-minute to four-minute videos that explain so much, so readily, so easily. you got to go there. That's where I'm going to pick up one of the videos for the Electoral College. And then I'm going to talk about an article in which you'll soon discover that the Electoral College is absolutely critical to the survivability of the United States of America. So like I indicate, for the first hour tonight, we have another first for the saloon. Never before have I interviewed a candidate for president of the United States, and this time it's for 2020. As with many of my recent guests, I became became aware of this man via social media on the Internet. As a matter of fact, he, over, I don't know, a period of time, he's placed uh, some comments, various comments, on my own media forms, social media forms. And when I looked to see who he was, I became a bit surprised. But then I had an idea. Why not see if he'll respond to an interview request? So tonight is the result of that request. We'll soon be speaking to Lee Newton Rhodes. He's a 2020 Democrat candidate for president of the United States. And I know what you're thinking because this is the saloon. But wait, there's more. If you think you have an individual pigeonholed, don't do that. Because I think you're going to make an amazing discovery with this gentleman. As you might expect, we'll get into a number of issues tonight, uh, as I am wont to do uh, when I speak to guests here in the saloon. But I'll tell you what, why wait? Um, Let's do that right now. I'd like to welcome Lee Newton Rhodes. Uh, to the uh, saloon for the first time. Good evening, sir, and thank you very kindly for accepting the invitation to be here tonight. My pleasure. Great intro. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, It is absolutely my pleasure. We have spoken back and forth, literally spoken, and we've emailed back and forth. Uh, So I feel like I know you a little bit more, but there are many things that are unexplained, not the least of which are a number of issues. So With your permission, what I'd like to do... Well, first, let me start at the start. I'm getting ahead of myself here, as I normally do. I want to thank you for staying up so late, because as everyone who is a regular listener and viewer knows, most of my guests are from the East Coast, and thusly, a bunch of my guests end up staying up late to do so. So thank you, sir, for doing that from the very beginning. It's my pleasure. Uh, I'm looking forward to this very much. I started scouring the internet and I found a fair amount of material on you. I'm actually very, I'm actually very excited to get to speak to you tonight, Lee Newton Rhodes. I think this could be quite revealing. So what I'd like to do tonight, kind of in this order, is go a bit into your background. 
your schooling, those situations and persons who, who may have influenced you as you grew up, your higher education, jobs, experience, your political alignments, and then finally get into your platform, your thoughts, the issues, and what you could believe what you believe that you can do as president for the United States of America. So first, Lee Newton Howard, where are you living these days and what portion of the United States are you? I'm up in New York City now, uh, but I don't have family here other than immediate, my wife and kids. Um, I'm originally from Georgia, as was my mother, and going back, you know, three generations, uh, except for a few years like junior high and high school where I lived in Ohio. Everything goes back to Georgia and Louisiana. On my mother's side, which I was closer with, my dad's side was Philadelphia, going back to the 1800s. But uh, my dad was an only child and his father also and stuff like that. But so um, family that I really grew up with was was in uh, Georgia and Louisiana. Um, after I graduated Georgia State uh, you know, with a degree in accounting, I came up to New York uh, to work and uh, haven't, I, I've gone back to visit, but I've been living up here since. Okay, so you were born where? In Georgia, did you say? Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia, okay. Um, and then, uh, so you, you went to elementary school and, and high school where? In uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Okay, all righty. Now that's and then very... back down to Georgia, uh, I graduated from Georgia State. Okay. That's very interesting. I spent some time in Ohio. My dad was in the Air Force, and I ended up staying in Kettering, Ohio, and then on base because dad was a colonel. We had a a home on base at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So I've been to Ohio. I know a little bit about Ohio, not all that much. That was in the late 60s and early 70s. That's Um, exactly when I was there. Oh, okay. All right. We overlapped. Um, how How did your upbringing or your family life impact you today in terms of politics in terms of life in general a life in general and we will get to the politics part but what i generally like to do from the beginning for somebody that i've never spoken to before is just get a feeling for who people are in the beginning Um, okay uh most of my upbringing and my impressions what have you uh coming from my mother's side of the family uh, very much strongly, you know, God, country, and and, and family. Uh, in terms, and also personal responsibility, and to take all those things very seriously. Um, I have extremely a, a lot of appreciation for this country in terms of what they offer people in terms of rights and freedoms and how lucky we are to, to be born in what I think is the greatest country that ever existed. Okay, already you're, you are veering away from the current Democrat crowd. And, and again, also, we will get to that. But to okay, continue... Just one, one, one caveat what you said. You said current. Yes, current. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't when I, when I joined you know, after high school and the first time I got registered to vote. Uh, that was a long time ago, 40 years ago. Democrats were the Democratic Party was much different than it is now. Oh, uh, one oh, thing that if you, yes, I'm sorry. Oh, yes, was it ever? Right. So my my point in, in stressing that is, if you look, you know, anything about my background, my views, my positions, what have you, 
you, hopefully, what you, one thing that you notice is consistency. doesn't matter who I'm talking to or where I'm talking, you know, the crowd, what have you. I am who I am, and I don't change my positions based on who I'm speaking to. Admirable. I wish more people were like that. Lee Newton Rhodes, were you involved in or interested in politics in school, elementary school, high school? No. Okay. What were some of your favorite topics and, and, and classes that you took in elementary school and, and high school? I like the one towards the math, the math subjects. Okay, sir, so you're a serious guy. You've got a very serious background, and I can see where you're going with the mathematics thing, and we will go there. Uh, and you, you mentioned after high school, I think you went to a number of colleges, didn't you? Yeah, because uh, I mentioned before I was up in Ohio for high school, so I spent one year in uh, OSU, Ohio State in Columbus, okay. and then I went back down to Georgia State to finish up. Okay, so you took, um, well, what, what were your majors, I should say? I started off as a math major, but then I gravitated towards accounting. Okay. Um, did you do any military service, sir? I did not. And uh, as a quirk in the system, I was born in 58. So if you know anything about the draft and stuff like that, the Vietnam was just winding down. And they actually eliminated the draft for the mandatory draft. They eliminated. They also eliminated registering for selective service for like two years there back. I think it was 58 and 59. Uh, I might be wrong in that. It might be one more year. And then they reinstituted not the draft, but the registration for selective service. So I, I fit, fit in there. I never even registered for selective service. And, but those obviously who are born now or even in the late, the mid sixties, they, they had that. And it's, it's all volunteer service now. Do you want to hear a weird story about Ohio? Sure. What section? Um, I had to register for selective service. Vietnam was my time, and I had a very low number, and people generally don't remember this, but there was a huge tornado in Chillicothe, Ohio, while I was there. Unbeknownst to me, what occurred is it wiped out most of the selective service records for the entire state of Ohio. I kept on with my life. One day I wondered why I never got called, and I never did any military service myself. I spent 41 years in law enforcement instead. But one day I, I got curious, and I called somebody that I knew in Ohio, and I discovered that because of that tornado, all the records were wiped out, and I would have gone had it not been for a tornado. Uh, that's kind of weird. Um. Another question. So you were there during the Kent State, Kent State Oh, yes. Incident. Oh, yes. Okay. Most definitely. Were there any incidents or events in your life? I call these, these events pivotal moments. Like for me, a pivotal moment was the circumstances that got me into law enforcement, for example. Another pivotal moment was one of the shootings that I got involved in. Another pivotal moment was when I decided that I was going to marry my, my current wife. In other words, what I'm looking for, were there any incidents or events in your life like a pivotal moment where your life was progressing one way and then suddenly it took a different direction for an absolutely unforeseen reason or an important reason? Uh, there are, I guess, two. 
One um, very personal and one not so personal. Uh, I'll start with the not so personal, and if you want to gravitate towards the other, go for it. Okay. Uh, not so personal one is just getting four or five years ago, just getting very frustrated with where this country is going, the direction of the country, and just feeling like at a loss, like I can't do anything. can't do anything about it. That's And that's when I just – and just frustration with the size of the government and just – which is when I started getting involved in politics. Okay. And That was about five years ago. And do you feel like relaying the personal one, or should we move on? Oh, you can, that's okay. Um, this goes back about 20 years ago. Um, I had an 11-year-old son in uh, sleepaway camp. I wasn't feeling well. Uh, from the hospital, I had meningitis. No, I didn't make the day. And passed away. I am so sorry for that, sir. And not having kids, I can't imagine what that was like. Um, Lee Newton Rhodes, after college, what what were your goals? Did you have any specific goals? Did you have a a specific job or an avocation in mind? After college, uh, public accounting, worked for a CPA firm uh, for a number of years. But the, just the regular thing, you know, in terms of having a family, uh, bringing, you know, with kids, wife, you know, the old American dream, and then just supporting them. Okay. No, nothing unusual. Okay. Nothing with politics or anything like that even entered my mind. So, in terms of background, what are some of the jobs that you've had? Because my understanding is that you are a CPA, correct? Correct. Okay. So what kind of jobs have you had in that regard? A CPA, all related to accounting, uh, whether working for a CPA firm in, you know, in public accounting or working for private firms uh, internally, uh, internal audit, uh, that aspect of it. Some of it tax, some of it audit, but everything accounting related. Okay. So... And I'm going somewhere with this, folks. You have a I'm very not sure if you're going where I think you're going, but you go 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 ahead. I, there I, is an angle I want to go on. You have a strong math background, and you have a background of being a CPA, folks. Hold that in. Hold that thought there just for a second, because we will be migrating over to that in just a bit. Lee Newton Rhodes, what makes you tick? What what makes Lee Newton Rhodes tick? What motivates you? Right now, what motivates me is when I see an injustice, when I see what's doing, the government is doing to the American people. And since you brought up my accounting background, in terms of the size of the government, in terms of the budget or lack of the budget, in terms of the unfunded pension liabilities the government has, in terms of the stealing money from the public, meaning taking our money that they were supposed to have for Social Security and using it for other purposes, oh, yeah. I can go on. Um, for, it, it's it's a horrible what, what's going on with, with, with the government and a lack of accountability. So you said about five years ago that that's when you decided you were you were upset with the direction of the government. But was there that you can think of? Was there any kind of a predicating incident or or one thing that made you think you know I'm not just casually interested in politics. I really want to get directly involved in politics. It was what I 
termed the corruption in government, which was so blatant. And, and, and I don't know if I say the funny thing about it is, but I, I, what it, is I had no idea how corrupt it was compared to what's been coming out since then. And in terms of Hillary Clinton and, and, and Benghazi and the emails, that was all just starting. But that was really just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the corruption within the government and just people just not caring about what's the right thing to do and as opposed to their own agenda. So I heard a quote today that was taken. I'm not sure the date of the quote. Uh, you may have heard of it in terms of Schumer saying something. Uh, a senator from New York right. made a comment about uh, Donald Trump. I think it was about a couple of years ago. He should be careful, meaning Trump should be careful in terms of him criticizing the intelligence, intelligence community yes. because they have six ways to Sunday to get back at you. It's funny you should mention that. I heard that tonight on the television just before I got in the car to go to the studio. Very interesting. And what, what, what to me that tells is these people have an agenda that which their feelings should have nothing to do with their job. They have a mission, mission to do. Yes. It, you know, it's frustrating. You were in law enforcement, and if somebody in a car has an, you know, a pull, I don't know what, what exactly what you did, but whenever and you had interaction with the public, they should behave in a certain way in respectful law enforcement. But that's not real life, unfortunately. No. But regardless of how they're treating you, there's a protocol with how you're supposed to react, and your personal feelings. It's not easy. You're human, but your personal feelings are not supposed to influence your decisions. <clears throat> we'll get into law enforcement, too, as a matter of fact. Folks, we're talking to Lee Newton Rhodes. If you go to Facebook, you can find him. Just go to Facebook.com, and it's Rhodes for President, R-H-O-D-E-S, Rhodes for President, if you happen to be on Facebook. Um, can people, this may or may not be an issue with you, and I couldn't quite tell, can number one can people contribute to you or if they cannot how can they support you there's so much corruption within the government in terms of election uh in the campaign cycle um there are rules out there and stuff with what they can can't do what have you but no, no one pays attention to them so what i did from day one is, is you know what Whatever I'm going to be doing, there's no way I'm going to be able to track the dollars that the, the Trumps or the Clintons or the, the Obamas can do, what have you. So I haven't taken a penny. I haven't raised or spent any money on my campaign. Instead, I decided to use the free Internet and social media. If what I'm doing resonates with people, they can follow me, share, and have other people. Um, and if it goes viral, it goes viral. If not, not. I, I feel, you know, I love this country too much not to do anything, but as an anti-establishment, non-political person, you know, in terms of my background, the establishment is not going to be welcoming me in. They, if enough people start in terms of following and sharing and, and getting my name out there, name recognition, which is the key to anything, because yep. name recognition runs polls and polls run elections, then they might have to deal with me. You have all these, you know, over 20 Democrats running. They're all dropping out like flies because they can't, they can't get any traction in the polls. 
you know, polls run elections. You know, they, it's been said you need, you know, millions of dollars to win elections. Well, you need millions of dollars to get name recognition to get the, you know, your polling numbers up. One reason Donald Trump did as well as he did, he got so much free publicity. And he got his name out there, his message out there. Lee Newton Rhodes, you're running as a 2020 candidate for president as a Democrat. But after looking at some of your views on various forms of social media and the Internet, you're somewhat far removed from a Bernie Sanders or a Cory Booker, for example. So are, are you what some people would call a classic liberal? Classic liberal. I never heard anyone put that way. Okay, um, it's funny you should mention that. And if you remember in the the emails that we corresponded with back and forth, I told you that I was going to play a video. Here's a two-minute video that illustrates what is a classic liberal. And so, Lee Newton-Rhodes, after you listen to this, I'd like to ask you the question again, are you a classic liberal? And for those of you that are listening right now, you may have pigeonholed yourself, but maybe it's time to ask you, what are you, for example? What is a classical liberal? It sounds like someone who's a liberal, but perhaps a bit fancier. Maybe sporting a top hat, a twirly mustache, and a monocle. Tea time! While that might be true in some specific cases, there's a lot more to it than that, and I bet I can convince you that there's a little classical liberal in you, too, in about two minutes. Me? Classical liberalism is the idea that individual freedom and limited government are the best way for humans to form a free society. The classical liberal tradition was born from great thinkers such as John Locke, Adam Smith, John Stuart Mill, and Thomas Jefferson. While they all tinkered in their own way with the ideas of classical liberalism, the core belief that the individual should always be considered above the group always remained constant. Thomas Jefferson even threw in the pursuit of happiness in the Constitution to drive home the point that your happiness wasn't the government's to give, but rather yours to take. Putting the individual above the group not only empowers you to live your life as you see fit, but it also neutralizes the forces of racism and bigotry, which judge people not on their individuality, but on their immutable group characteristics, be it color of skin, gender, or sexuality. These days, liberalism has been confused with leftism or progressivism, which actually has nothing to do with classical liberalism. Sadly, the left is no longer liberal at all, for it has traded in individualism for collectivism, thus placing us in an oppression Olympics where victimhood is virtue. Is that you, Lee Newton Rhodes? Some of that is spot on. Limited government, 100%. Yep. Um, I really believe if the states knew then what they knew now, the vast majority of them would not have joined the union. Well, now individual freedoms, hundred percent. That's an interesting concept. Wow. Okay. Uh, it, generally, it, does that kind of fit you as a classic liberal? Because you're certainly not a leftist. Well, I, I, I believe the difference between a leftist and a liberal is a liberal is. I, I disagree with you. You're entitled to your opinion, but you know. You're wrong, and then they give the various reasons. Okay. Leftism is, I disagree with you. You're not entitled to your opinion. Shut up, otherwise I'm going to 
punch you in the face. I mean, that's where we've gone now. Yes. A lot of, in the Democratic Party, it's turned like Antifa, has turned the party towards leftism as opposed to liberalism. Liberalism, leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. Leftism is, oh, I'm not going to leave you alone because you're wrong. Yes. Yes. Very violent, very vocal, very in your face. Yes, that's. So you nailed it. In terms of what you described, is, is pretty spot on. Yes, you nailed it. Uh, uh, let's see. We get about two more minutes for the bottom of the hour break. So let's migrate now into some philosophies and foundations of you and your campaign, Lee Newton Rhodes. First and most obvious question would be, what do you think that you can bring to the office of President of the United States that other Democrat candidates cannot? Unfortunately, Democrat, a lot of, most of the Democratic candidates now, and even a lot of Republicans, they speak a good game in terms of, for one thing, transparency. But they, they, don't, they don't, once they're in office, all bets are off. You know, the, the, there, there's a term that I guess hasn't been used. It's not so popular anymore. When you work for the government, you're a civil servant. You work for the people, not the other way around. It's the books of the government. It's really the people's books. The money, it's the people. The government doesn't have any money. The only way to get money is three ways. One is they take it by taxes. Some consider that stealing, but it is what it is. The other way is they borrow money from either citizens here or other governments, other countries. The other way is they print money as much as they want. You know, I, I, I used to think, and most people think, you know, why do you pay taxes? Why do you pay income taxes? It's to support the revenue, you know, give the government money, revenues to operate. But that's not the case anymore. They don't need our money. I'm not, I think it's a whole thing. It's, a, it, it's, it's, you know, it's smoke and mirrors. Since they print so much money, especially since, you know, when it's in 2008, 2009, and they borrow money whenever they want, well, why do they bother even collecting our taxes? They don't restrict their spending to the revenue. Any business who, who operated the way the government would be bankrupt from day, you know, a long time ago. And then whenever they hit their debt ceiling, what do they do? Extend they it. They raise it. Yes. It's a joke. Lee Newton Rhodes, you are singing my song. We got to take a break. We're going to come back. And I'm going to point out that you ran for president in 2016 directly against and specifically mentioning and targeting Hillary Rodham Clinton. That'll be the next point that we talk about. Folks, we're we're speaking tonight, and I'm having a great time. I don't know about you folks. We're talking to Lee Newton Rhodes, who is a 2020 Democrat candidate for president of the United States. And I'm I'm telling you right about now that all of you who are thinking I know what he's going to say at the top of the hour. Right about now, all of you are thinking, this isn't going where I thought it was going to go. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. From a public locker inside a dilapidated Long Island rail station comes a show designed to piss off liberals using truth, facts, and ridicule. The Lid Radio Show, featuring the conservative voice from the People's Republic of New York. The Lid himself, Jeff Dunnitz. 
Tune in every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the SHR Media Network. Go to shrmedia.com. At Lid Radio, we fight for the truth, justice, and a good kosher T-bone. If you don't listen, Hillary Clinton might sneak into your bedroom in her housecoat late at night and blame you for her election loss. It's the Lid Radio Show with Jeff Dunnitz. For 50 years, I've seen the American people blinded by corrupt politicians, a lapdog media, and deceptive Islam. The one thing the elites fear is one man with a cane. I'm Dave Milner. Join me through Spreaker, iTunes, and SoundCloud, through SHR Media and the Western Free Radio Network for half a century of experienced perspective on political and social issues, weekly on The Unpleasant Blind Guy. And catch me on Jeff Mitchell's EDL Radio on blogtalkradio.com. There's no surrender ever. Because truth is not always pleasant. This is Shannon Wright of The Right Way with Shannon and Mike in the AM. Mike's not here, so I got to talk fast. You got to join us. Fall season, getting ready to start up with a whole bunch of new stuff. News and food and politics and sports and entertainment and a whole bunch of stuff. But wait, Mike's coming. I gotta go. Remember, Shannon and Mike in the AM on SHR Media, Monday through Thursday, 7 to 9 a.m. Make sure you tune in. Featuring right thinking from a left brain and doing the job the American maggots won't, BZ is fundamentally changing America one diaper at a time. Just when safety pin manufacturers are running out of metal for the diapers of the leftists, where the speech is free, but the drinks are not. The bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon can be heard every Tuesday and Thursday night, commencing at 11 p.m. Eastern and 8 p.m. Pacific, where pushback is a requisite art form in and of itself. Let your ossicles be truly liberated when you listen to the bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon only on SHR Media Network. No ferrets were harmed in the making of this ad. Join me, Jack Alexander, for the Jack Alexander Experiment podcast as I take a unique outsider's look at the issues affecting the USA. I fearlessly take on the issues that everyone else is too scared to touch. The Jack Alexander Experiment Podcast is available wherever good podcasts can be found, like Spreaker, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcast. The Jack Alexander Experiment, because it's not a matter of left versus right, it's a matter of right versus wrong. It's your business diva here, Melanie Collette. I am inviting you to a front row seat as I discuss some of the most intriguing details of wealth and finance with today's movers and shakers in the world of business. Listen in and discover financial truths on a global, domestic, and household scale. Uncover topics that will impact your wallet today and in the future. Money Talk with Melanie airs Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. East, 2 p.m. West, right here on SHR Media and High Plains Pundit Talk Radio. You can't afford to miss it. Featuring the effervescent contrarian Sackheads Clint plus the unrestrained bulbosity of BZ, the Sackheads Against Tyranny is a real chat show. Doubling your late-night conservative talk show pleasure with double the hosts, you can listen every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern. Please note, some contents may have settled during shipping. Member FDIC, batteries not included, warranty voided Montenegro. Conservative media done right. 
You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, thanks for being here tonight in the Bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon. It is a radio show. I'm in an actual studio. This isn't my basement. It isn't a cellar. I have to actually drive here about a half hour to get here. And when I lock up at night, I go back to my house. This isn't Seat of the Pants Radio. This is the SHR Media Network. And I am honored to have here tonight, for the first hour, Lee Newton Rhodes. He is a 2020 candidate, Democrat candidate for President of the United States. And just before we went to the break, Lee Newton... Uh, Rhodes, you ran for president in 2016 directly against and specifically mentioning and targeting uh, the lovely Hillary Rodham Clinton, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what did you what do you think that you had at that time to offer that Hillary Clinton was clearly lacking? Honesty and character. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> God, yes. Unfortunately, I started too late, and I didn't get enough traction uh, quick enough. So I figured, you know what? Let me just continue. If it's meant to be, it will. If not, not. And it's just even more so than 2016. There's no one out there on the Democratic side that me as an American is proud of. Were you surprised that Hillary Clinton lost the presidency in 2016? Yes, very surprised that she lost, especially knowing what I know now in terms of the corruption that was taking place, in terms of the rigging of the elections with her and Bernie, and whatever, just so much that went on. It's it's a miracle that Trump was able to win. Okay. Looking back. Um, Do you have any I have so many questions. Lee Newton Rhodes, if I could speak to you for an hour and a half, I would. And I that's not going to happen because I know that an hour is is pushing things. But I have so many questions. One of the first things that comes to mind is, um, do you have any thoughts on President Trump? I, I voted for him for a number of reasons. Okay. I'm a Democrat and he's a Republican. Okay. Um, but I just could not stomach pulling the lever for someone as corrupt as Hillary, and a lot of her views I don't like. And, and one thing that really turns me off with a politician in particular, but people in general, is when they say one thing to somebody and, and do something else. You know, the flip-flop, what have you. I, I just totally don't respect that. Um, in terms of her honesty also, it's I just could not pull the lever for someone who was corrupt. And, I, you know, I... Trump came with a lot of baggage. Yes, as a person, um, you know. But we don't, you know. You have two choices. You know, you would like a leader to be a moral person, be a good person, but you need a leader to be a good leader. And if you have both, that's great. If not, it's more important um, that he be a good leader. Trump all his life was a Democrat, liberal Democrat. He supported causes, what have you. Yes. So I took with a grain of salt what he was saying during the election cycle. Um, I voted for him, as I said before, and so far I have no buyer's remorse. Okay. With what he's done with the judges, what he's done trying to keep his promises, 
done in terms of getting out of the Iran deal, in terms of the, the climate deal, the Paris, Paris climate deal, in terms of trying to build the wall, in terms of uh, prison reform, a lot of other things. But primarily in terms of him electing conservative judges, both in the Supreme Court and also the federal courts. Do you think that'll be his legacy? Do you think SCOTUS will be his legacy? Maybe a little bit of the ninth will be his legacy? Maybe lower appellate courts and lower federal courts will be a bit of his legacy? Those are lifetime, 100%. Those are him saying to the establishment, basically in your face. Yes, yes, that's very true. Lee Newton Rhodes, what are your thoughts about the dossier, the FISA warrant application by the FBI? And uh, what I didn't tell you is that I spent 35 years, my last 35 years in law enforcement for the Sacramento County Sheriff's Department. And before that, I worked for another coastal sheriff's department. I started my career with the FBI and the U.S. Marshal. So I've got a federal background and I've also got a low, uh, a local law enforcement background. So the FISA warrant application by the FBI is particularly irksome to me. The subsequent fallout with former FBI Director James Comey, who I'm, I despise with much, much hate and discontent. The Mueller investigation, Peter Stroke, Lisa Page, all the investigations into Michael Flynn. Um, any gut thoughts about all of that stuff that's been occurring recently? As a private citizen, I don't have a law background, but it stinks. Yes. Um, In terms of what appears to be a double standard, uh, whether you're a conservative, whether you're a Republican or just a private citizen versus if you're part of the establishment with what you can get away with in terms of lying to the government, in terms of lying to the FISA court, in terms of lying to Congress. In terms of breaking laws and having classified information on your home servers, what have you, you know, I don't remember the name of this Navy uh, sailor who was put in jail for a year having a picture of his bedroom on a ship. Yes, and sent it to his girlfriend, and he does federal time for that. Yes. Yeah, Martha Stewart, and you have Comey get up there and say, "Yeah, here she broke the law and everything like that," but you know what? We don't know that she intended to. That's not even part of the statute. Um, because, okay, Lee Newton Rhodes, I've said for some time that, in my opinion, this was a soft coup against a presidential nominee, a president-elect, and a sitting president, first beginning with a complete civilian. He was a civilian. And you made a... I just have to correct you on that. I apologize. You said was. Oh, well, okay. I think it's still going on. Um, yeah, oh, yes, and... And continuing, you're absolutely correct, continuing with a sitting president, as I indicated. I worked for the for the FBI, and I still speak to some of my federal friends. In my opinion, James Comey is one of the dirtiest, most egomaniacal, untrustworthy, lying law enforcement officers in the history of the United States. When he presented his laundry list of charges against Hillary Clinton on July 5th, 2016, I knew he was lying. I watched his lip move. Crimes of general intent versus crimes of of specific intent. Once he trotted that out, I knew what was going on. We did not find clear evidence that Secretary Clinton or her colleagues intended to violate laws governing the handling of classified information. There is evidence that they were extremely careless 
in their handling of very sensitive, highly classified information. For example, seven email chains concern matters that were classified at the top secret special access program at the time they were sent and received. Those chains involve Secretary Clinton both sending emails about those matters and receiving emails about those same matters. There is evidence to support a conclusion that any reasonable person in Secretary Clinton's position or in the position of those with whom she was corresponding about those matters should have known that an unclassified system was no place for that conversation. James Comey presented his laundry list of charges against Hillary Clinton. But he says she didn't have the intent to dot, dot, dot. Folks, I said then and now and to you, Lee Newton Rhodes, those crimes are not crimes of specific intent. They are crimes of general intent. The crime must be labeled with the intent to and the ones that were immediately applicable are not which is why in that moment I knew he was lying to me. Lee Newton-Rhodes, any thoughts about that? 100%. It boggles the mind. Now that Comey's out of there, it's replacements in. Why is she not being indicted? Yes. Well, let me ask you. I don't know that there's a statute of limitations on it. Let me ask you. Well, it's no. Technically, depending on which, which USC code that you're going to apply. Do you think, Lee Newton-Rhodes, that we would have discovered a fraction of what we know now about the deep state that operates in D.C. had Hillary Clinton been elected? Or do you even think that there is such a thing as the deep state? Maybe I should start there. I think it's obvious there is. To the extent, I don't know. Obviously, in terms of the heads of the agencies who are working together. They have it out for people, um, and they're, they're just so, you know. Why are they still stalling when Congress is asking for information protecting Hillary Clinton, the State Department? I, I don't get that. No, and they're Benghazi. To release documents. Yeah, and Benghazi. You mentioned Benghazi. Uh, okay, so I tell you what. Enough history. Let me begin again. And I mentioned your math background, and I mentioned that you're a CPA, a certified public accountant. So your world is numbers and budgets. That having been said, Lee Newton Rhodes, how would you examine the U.S. budget? And what would, what would be one of the first things that you would or could do to try to bring it even remotely under control? This is, this is a little addressed issue, and in my opinion, it is the massive bloated elephant in every political room. Well, the first thing, besides bringing it under control, is just understanding what is out there. Nobody knows in terms of, at least the public doesn't know, in terms of unfunded liabilities, in terms of how much the government's spending, what are they spending it on. It's the federal government. It's, 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 it's not accountable to, to, to the public. So what are your... Do you operate under a general set of principles or fundamental philosophies with regard to budgets in general? Yes, every dollar should be accounted for. Dollar coming in, dollar going out. And and I'm asking this question honestly 
And I, I have to admit, I think I know the answer, but I'm not sure, so I'll ask you anyway. When was the last time that the United States had a full and complete budget? Can anyone remember? Anybody in chat? Hands? Anybody? Hands? No, no, I don't believe in my lifetime. I I think it may have been 2006, but I am am not sure about that. In 2006, they included unfunded liability? Lee Newton Rhodes, can this be repaired or do we have to suffer suffer catastrophically before we we finally begin to realize our budgetary plight theoretically i think it could theoretically if the federal government would do what the federal government's supposed to be doing and leave to the states what they're supposed to leave to the states it could be fixed okay lee newton Rhodes. it's day one in the 2021 presidency of you, what is the first thing that you believe that you'd want to do? That's an interesting question. First thing uh, probably is start downsizing the federal government, not necessarily eliminating programs, because once you give a program out, people don't want to give them up. Yes. But what you can do is take those programs and say, okay, instead of the federal government administering these programs, let the states do it. Those states that want to have the programs, go ahead. Those that don't want to opt out, go ahead. But don't give it to the federal government to do. Because when you do that, then let's say New York wants a program and Colorado doesn't. Why should Colorado pay for New York's program? You know, the, years ago there was a thing with the line item veto the president wanted to do. Right. And I guess it was ruled unconstitutional. Look. By having some, what Congress does, though, and this bothers me, is they just shove everything in there so everybody gets their own pork, so to speak, what have you. That, to me, is like walking into Costco. You know, I want, I want eggs and milk. And Costco say, well, if you want the eggs and milk, then you got to take the cream cheese, you got to take the whipped cream, you got to take coffee. I don't want that. I don't want all that stuff. I just want what I want. So the fact that you can't do a line-item veto, but the president can't, means it's so much corruption in there. So let each state at least do what they want for the state. If they want programs, go for it. If New York wants food stamps, go. Have, you know, you pay for it. Why should Vermont pay for your food stamps if they don't want that program? I'm just giving an example of a program. Right. Right. <clears throat> the federal government has no, mo- has no money of their own. I mentioned it before. The only way they get money is by taking it, redistributing the wealth among the states, printing money or borrowing money. But why should one state suffer? Because other states want more and more programs. And that's that's basically what happens. I have to say, Lee Newton Rhodes, you're singing my song and I like your style. And you are claiming Democrat. Um, would, are you are you indicating that you would perhaps consider eliminating um, uh, any cabinet positions, for example? There's so much bloated bureaucracy. You know, it used to be. You know, if you ask you know, who makes laws in the United States, we have three branches of government. Well, we have a legislative branch, judicial branch, and executive branch. Right. And each of them have their own purpose. Well, what does the legislative branch do? Theoretically, they make laws, executive branch, 
implements the laws and the judicial branch judges the laws to make sure that, you know, they're followed properly, what have you. Well, if the legislative branch is the one that makes the laws, why do you have all these federal agencies reporting to the executive branch who makes laws and regulations for the public that we have to follow? That doesn't seem right because we didn't like these people. And Congress didn't pass these laws. Why, why should we have to follow them? Evidently, the whole system is corrupt. I think it can be changed. It's going to require uh, what is called a sea change, an, entire diff- an entirely different paradigm shift, uh, a, a different thinking shift. Because, let's see, okay, we've got eight minutes left. What I'd like to do is go through some issues and topics and and see what your positions on these things might be. So, for example, to begin, the U.S. military. What's your specific question? Uh, people say it's underfunded. People say it's it's way bloated. Any thoughts about budget to or from the U.S. military? And further, how it should be applied? Yeah, I, I, I can't speak in terms of uh, how it's funded and in terms of the budget being bloated or not. I, I don't know. What I do know is if you don't have a strong military, you don't have a country. Everybody – Every other country, you know, Russia, China, North Korea, what have you, is is coming after us. If it weren't for us, I mean, this is one thing with Trump that he, I think is tremendous is a lot of countries don't have their military. They just rely on us, you know, the big brothers to take care of them. Yes. For the world's policemen, what have you. And if we weren't there, not only wouldn't these other countries exist, we wouldn't exist. So... The military has to be taken care of. That doesn't mean you should throw money at it irresponsibly. So there has to be an accounting for it. And, and people should be held you know, responsible for building it and building it responsibly. You know, the idea of these you know, you know, $1,000 toilets or whatever, you, know, you hear things and stuff like that. There, there is fraud. Whenever you have a federal government and the money is removed from the people, the more removed it is, the more fraud there's going to be and waste. That's just the way it is, which is why I mentioned before, get rid of a lot of these programs in the federal government. Bring them back to the states. Bring them back to the cities. If cities and states want to have them, fine. The closer the decisions are made to the people who are paying for them, the more responsibly the money will be spent. But the certain departments, like the military, have to be federal. States can't. That's one thing the states just can't do. Well, yes, it's also uh, enumerated. Um, your thoughts on ICE and the border and illegal aliens? Okay, this is just not me, but uh, Milton Friedman said this. You can't have open borders in a welfare state. It just doesn't work. First of all, if you have open borders, you don't have a country. Yes. What I understand is Vladimir Putin wants to, to walk into the border. Are they going to stop him or say, no, you can come in just like everybody else? What's, why would they stop him? Let the, let the Chinese army just walk right in. They, they want to be Americans. We will have no country. It's overwhelming, overwhelming the, the service of the – first of all, you, you don't know these people are here with the best interest of the country. Second of all, we don't have the wealth and the, and the facilities to take care of so many people so quickly, which is why historically we had legal immigration and we had rationing in terms of how many people over what period of time can come in. If there's a billion people out there who say tomorrow they want to come in, we're going to let them? 
doesn't make sense. We'll have no country. No, it makes absolutely no sense. Especially uh, when we have a welfare state where they just say, okay, I want benefits. Well, and I live in California. Any thoughts about campaign finance reform? I think just get rid of it all. There's so much cheating going on anyways. It's a joke. So just admit it what it is. People can spend their money the way they want. It's their money. They want to spend it on the ex-candidate, spend it on the ex-candidate. You want to spend it on newspaper ads, go for it. But you're fooling the public by thinking, making them believe there's any restrictions with PACs and, and dark money and whatever else. It's a joke. Your thoughts on Social Security? Social Security. Uh, in terms of the public, in terms of the government. In terms of the government, people should be in jail. So people gave money in the Social Security system in good faith. Yes. That it would be held in a lockbox, and when they retire, they were going to get their money back, maybe with interest, maybe not with interest, whatever, whatever. But their money was going to be held in a lockbox. What the, what the government do? Took the money saying, you know what? They don't need it now. Other people will put in. It's a pyramid scheme. Ponzi scheme. Yes, it is a Ponzi so, scheme. Exactly. And, and the money's gone. Although, you know, when they say Social Security is going to run out of money, how could it run out of money? I'm only getting my own money back. It, it, it's not possible. They raided it and it's gone. They got caught, the government got caught with their pants down because you're not having enough people putting into the system anymore. And more and more people, the, the, the baby boom generation, are retiring. But you know what? Those people who took, they're long out of office. They don't care. Politicians don't care. They give them all these contracts and benefits to people, to unions and to federal, the, the state and the federal workers. They, I'm not saying they don't deserve more money or more benefits, but because they don't fund them when they give them, the impact, the financial impact of, of these contracts and all these benefits and pensions or whatever doesn't hit the system until way after these politicians are gone. Otherwise, they might not have been elected, you know, or reelected, what have you, when people saw how much their taxes are going up. You know, the real estate taxes in a lot of places in the United States are going up through the roof now. They would go through the roof even more if it was pay as you go. Or these politicians would be out because it's so. No, you can't give the, uh, that union or the people that money. We don't have it. They go, you know what? We'll give them the benefits now and pay for it in 10 years or 20 years. We're selling our kids and grandkids out. This country is going to go bankrupt. Absolutely. We China now, so what are billions of dollars. I always said that if you want a tax revolt, treat the average American citizen like a business. Make them pay their quarterlies. Once they start paying their quarterlies, they'll go crazy. Why do you think there's withholding now from paychecks? If people had to pay that in lump sums, and they saw how much they were really paying, uh, they go berserk. It, it but because would... they sneak it out before they even get the check, they don't realize to the extent. Absolutely true. So, folks, we've been talking to Lee Newton Rhodes. He is at twenty twenty. Touch on Second Amendment. And- and uh, abortion oh, for life. Listen, there are some. I told you at the beginning. I have ten pages of questions. I didn't get to a fraction of that. Um, it, it, I, I'm not quite sure how to get to the rest of it. I won't be able to get to the rest of it tonight. 
Let me ask you this, because we, we really haven't touched on, on any of this. If you're interested next week, uh, would you be interested in doing another half hour? Uh, yeah, 100%. Okay. All right. This is amazing for him. Let, I enjoy this very much. Let's let's do that. Unfortunately, as like as you said before, a lot of stuff I, I really want to talk about just didn't come up yet. No, didn't and, have time. And, and there are so many other issues, so many other topics that I wanted to address. But that having been said, Lee Newton uh, Rhodes, you are a 2020 Democrat candidate for president of the United States, and I have to tell you, I have had a great experience tonight. So. Thank you kindly for staying up so late, and thank you My very pleasure. much. I, I, I was assuming you were going to ask me why I didn't run as a Republican as opposed to Democrat and just jump over, you know, with the walkway. I we didn't even get to that. I know, and and trust me, trust me, Lee Newton Rhodes, that's in here. That's in my voluminous list of questions. And you're right; I didn't get to that either. So thank you for your generous donation of time tonight, for staying up so late. And I wish you all the best, sir. And I'll I tell you what, can we communicate uh, a little bit later, tomorrow sometime, uh, by email and see if maybe we can set up another half hour for next week? Would that be acceptable? Looking forward to it. Okay, great. I've had a great time. And I, I also said, number one, you're going to have a great time. And I, I also said, number two, you're going to see like an hour disappear in as though it was two minutes. And it's amazing it's, how quickly it went. And it's true. It's very true. You run a good show, sir. Thank you ever so kindly. We're going to have you back. Folks, <laughs> I had a great time. That was, uh, <laughs> that was great. That was Lee Newton Rhodes. And a lot of the people in chat have said, hey, BZ, I like this. I like the people that you have on the show because you have different opinions, different philosophies, different people. In the social media, running up to this, people were saying, oh, who is this guy? He's a, he's a Democrat. And I, I, in social media, I said to some of the people who were saying that, wait, hold up, back up that car wash, because he's not going to be who you think he is. So before we pigeonhole people, we should listen to what they have to say and who they are. And I'll be right back. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. From a public locker inside a dilapidated Long Island rail station comes a show designed to piss off liberals using truth, facts, and ridicule. The Lid Radio Show, featuring the conservative voice from the People's Republic of New York. The Lid himself, Jeff Dunnitz. Tune in every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the SHR Media Network. Go to shrmedia.com. At Lid Radio, we fight for the truth, justice, and a good kosher T-bone. If you don't listen... Hillary Clinton might sneak into your bedroom in her housecoat late at night and blame you for her election loss. It's the Lid Radio Show with Jeff Dunnitz. For 50 years, I've seen the American people blinded by corrupt politicians, a lapdog media, and deceptive Islam. The one thing the elites fear is one man with a cane. I'm Dave Milner. Join me through Spreaker, iTunes, and SoundCloud through SHR Media and the Western Free Radio Network for half a century of experienced perspective on political and social issues 
weekly on the Unpleasant Blind Guy. And catch me on Jeff Mitchell's EDL Radio on blogtalkradio.com. There's no surrender ever. Because truth is not always pleasant. This is Shannon Wright of The Right Way with Shannon and Mike in the AM. Mike's not here, so I got to talk fast. You got to join us. Fall season. Getting ready to start up with a whole bunch of new stuff. News and food and politics and sports and entertainment and a whole bunch of stuff. But wait, Mike's coming. I got to go. Remember, Shannon and Mike in the AM on SHR Media, Monday through Thursday, 7 to 9 AM. Make sure you tune in. Featuring right thinking from a left brain and doing the job the American maggots won't. BZ is fundamentally changing America one diaper at a time. Just when safety pin manufacturers are running out of metal for the diapers of the leftists, where the speech is free, but the drinks are not. The bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon can be heard every Tuesday and Thursday night, commencing at 11 p.m. Eastern and 8 p.m. Pacific, where pushback is a requisite art form in and of itself. Let your ossicles be truly liberated when you listen to the bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon only on SHR Media Network. No ferrets were harmed in the making of this ad. Join me, Jack Alexander, for the Jack Alexander Experiment podcast as I take a unique outsider's look at the issues affecting the USA. I fearlessly take on the issues that everyone else is too scared to touch. The Jack Alexander Experiment Podcast is available wherever good podcasts can be found, like Spreaker, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcast. The Jack Alexander Experiment, because it's not a matter of left versus right, it's a matter of right versus wrong. It's your business diva here, Melanie Collette. I am inviting you to a front row seat as I discuss some of the most intriguing details of wealth and finance with today's movers and shakers in the world of business. Listen in and discover financial truths on a global, domestic, and household scale. Uncover topics that will impact your wallet today and in the future. Money Talk with Melanie airs Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. East, 2 p.m. West, right here on SHR Media and High Plains Pundit Talk Radio. You can't afford to miss it. Featuring the effervescent contrarian Sackheads Clint, plus the unrestrained bulbosity of BZ, the Sackheads Against Tyranny is a real chat show. Doubling your late-night conservative talk show pleasure with double the hosts, you can listen every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern. Please note, some contents may have settled during shipping. Member FDIC, batteries not included, warranty voided Montenegro. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. The first hour went by quick, like a bunny. Usually at the end of the... An interview. I have a pretty good idea whether or not I'll be inviting somebody back and whether or not they have ideas that I'd like to hear more of. And when you're when you're crafting an, an interview, you always want to make sure that you have many more questions, uh, topics to hit than you have time for, just in case you know, things happen. So I'm going to have him back. I'm going to contact him. It'll be Tuesday or Thursday next week. I'm not sure exactly which. Maybe he'll come back for... I I have enough questions to keep him busy for another hour. 
Now, whether he acquiesces to that and says, yes, I don't know. I'm just going to have to wait and see. But anyway, in any event, uh, he said he would come back, and I'll hold him to that. So next week, Tuesday or Thursday, not sure which. Let's listen to Ron Edwards. Could a recent federal judge decision bring Obama-era State Department dirt in the dark to the light of day? Hello, I'm Ron Edwards on today's page from the Edwards Notebook. Thanks to federal judge Royce Lambert, who's sickened by the State Department's willingness to tell a bunch of lies and cover up for Mrs. Clinton's illegal actions, the judge granted additional discovery to Judicial Watch in the Hillary Clinton email cover-up scandal. Judicial Watch has released the transcript from their hearing on August 22, 2019 where U.S. District Judge Royce Lambert granted significant new discovery to Judicial Watch on the Clinton email issue. Judicial Watch versus U.S. Department of State also Senate Finance and Homeland Security Committees released documents revealing that Clinton IT aide Paul Combetta copied all but four of the missing emails to a Gmail account that does not appear to have ever been reconstructed and searched. Judge Lambert also criticized the State Department's handling of the production of Clinton's emails, in this case stating, quote, there is no Freedom of Information Act exemption for political expedience, nor is there one for bureaucratic incompetence. Could true justice be next? I'm Ron Edwards. And we will meet soon on yet another page from the Edwards Notebook. Always enjoy Ron Edwards. We're going to have to have him back. <clears throat> I have. I just put a question in chat, and I asked everybody. I said I was going to talk about the Electoral College, and I thought that it would be a good topic to go to, specifically after we'd been listening to somebody talk about government, how the government is or is not working very well, and what uh, Lee uh, Howard Rhodes would do with regard to spiffying up the government, cleaning up the budget, etc., if he were elected president in 2020. So the question I have for you is, would you guys like to hear about the Electoral College? Because I'm ready to go with that. And I got a great article and a great descriptor of that. Or I also have uh, some breaking stories. I've got some happy stories and we could kind of go into the news and stuff like that. So any thoughts in the chat room one way or the other? Five, four, three, two, one. Okay. I guess Electoral College it is. I would like to change. One is the Electoral College. Ruthie. The Electoral College needs to go. And maybe we might want to take a look at the whole Electoral College. I think it needs to be... Uh, eliminated. I'd like to see us move beyond it, yes. And that means get rid of the Electoral College. Okay, let me ask you a question before we get into this video. Why do leftists want to remove the Electoral College? Because it was the Electoral College that was working very well for them, except for two small, solitary instances that pissed them off to no end. One was, do you remember, Bush and Gore. And, of course, the one that still chafes and chaps their ass today, OMB, President Donald John Trump, the guy with the dead orange cat on his head. They've lost by way of the Electoral College twice, only twice. And with that, they want to 
throttle it wholesale. I want to talk to you about the Electoral College and why it matters. All right, I know this doesn't sound like the most sensational topic of the day, but stay with me because I promise you it's one of the most important. To explain why requires a very brief civics review. The President and Vice President of the United States are not chosen by a nationwide popular vote of the American people. Rather, they are chosen by 538 electors. This process is spelled out in the United States Constitution. Why didn't the founders just make it easy and let the presidential candidate with the most votes claim victory? Why did they create and why do we continue to need this electoral college? White, it's great. The answer great is critical to understanding not only the electoral college but also America. The founders had no intention of creating a pure majority rule democracy. They knew from careful study of history what most have forgotten today or never learned. Pure democracies do not work. They implode. Wow. Democracy has been colorfully described as two wolves and a lamb voting on what's for dinner. In a pure democracy, bare majorities can easily tyrannize the rest of a country. The founders wanted to avoid this at all costs. This is why we have three branches of government, executive, legislative, and judicial. It's why each state has two senators, no matter what its population, but also different numbers of representatives based entirely on population. It's why it takes a supermajority in Congress and three quarters of the states to change the Constitution. And it's why we have the Electoral College. Here's how the Electoral College works. The presidential election happens in two phases. The first phase is purely democratic. We hold 51 popular elections every presidential election year, one in each state and one in D.C. On election day in 2012, you may have thought you were voting for Barack Obama or Mitt Romney, but you were really voting for a slate of presidential electors. In Rhode Island, for example, if you voted for Barack Obama, you voted for the state's four Democratic electors. If you voted for Mitt Romney, you were really voting for the state's four Republican electors. Part two of the election is held in December, and it is this December election among the state's 538 electors, not the November election, which officially determines the identity of the next president. At least 270 votes are needed to win. Why is this so important? Because the system encourages coalition building and national campaigning. In order to win, a candidate must have the support of many different types of voters from various parts of the country. Winning only the South or the Midwest is not good enough. You cannot win 270 electoral votes if only one part of the country is supporting you. Bingo. But if winning were only about getting the most votes, a candidate might concentrate all of his efforts in the biggest cities or the biggest states. Why would that candidate care about what people in West Virginia or Iowa or Montana think? Stop right there. That's exactly what leftists want to do to you. As far as they're concerned, if you don't live in or inhabit a large, what I term, urban rat cage, you don't exist and you don't factor and you can go straight to hell. Which is why, as far as they're concerned, well, flyover states are, are certainly aptly named. That is tyranny. But you might ask. Isn't the election really only about the so-called swing states? Actually, no. No. If nothing else, safe and swing states are constantly changing. 
California voted safely Republican as recently as 1988. Texas used to vote Democrat. Neither New Hampshire nor Virginia used to be swing states. Most people think that George W. Bush won the 2000 election because of Florida. Well, sort of. But he really won the election because he managed to flip one state which the Democrats thought was safe, West Virginia. Its four electoral votes turned out to be decisive. No political party can ignore any state for too long without suffering the consequences. Every state, and therefore every voter in every state, is important. The Electoral College also makes it harder to steal elections. Votes must be stolen in the right state in order to change the outcome of the Electoral College. With so many swing states, this is hard to predict and hard to do. But without the Electoral College, any vote stolen in any precinct in the country could affect the national outcome, even if that vote was easily stolen in the bluest California precinct or the reddest Texas one. Let that be a lesson to you. Do you not see another motivation for leftists? Just mentioned, stolen votes. Who steals the votes? Who do you think? The Electoral College is an ingenious method of selecting a president for a great, diverse republic such as our own. It protects against the tyranny of the majority, encourages coalition building, and discourages voter fraud. Our founders were proud of it. We can be too. I'm Tara Ross for Prager University. That was a wonderful description of the Electoral College. So you should be aware of the, the fact that there are dangers of the attacks on the Electoral College. Our RBG Ruth Bader Ginsburg has said on a number of occasions that she would rip out the Electoral College by the roots. She has also said historically that if a new country were to craft a constitution, its own constitution, the last constitution that she would consider or recommend would be that of the United States. Because the Constitution of the United States limits the government. It doesn't expand the government. It says what the government can't do to you. Leftists want rights that are given, granted to you by government. Your, your rights in the United States are inherent, granted to you by nature, by God. And not by the government. And that's what makes it brilliant. There was an article by a guy named Trent England. And he wrote about the danger of the attacks on the Electoral College. And he spoke at Hillsdale College. And essentially what he said was this. Yeah, Kaiser in chat says RBG is dead. Well, she might be hooked up to some really good medicine or some electronics right now. Mr. England wrote, once upon a time, the Electoral College was not controversial. During the debates over ratifying the Constitution, anti-federalist opponents of ratification barely mentioned it. But by the mid-20th century, opponents of the Electoral College nearly convinced Congress to propose an amendment to scrap it. And today, more than a dozen states have joined in an attempt to hijack the Electoral College as a way to force a national popular vote for president. I think amended, as a matter of fact, it's up to perhaps 17 states, as opposed to the time that this was erect, uh, uh, written, 11. 
So he, he asks, what changed along the way, and does it matter? After all, the critics of the Electoral College simply want to elect a president the way we elect most other officials. Every state governor is chosen by a statewide popular vote. Why not a national popular vote for president? Federal. Delegates to the Constitutional Convention in 1787 asked themselves the same damn question. But they rejected a national popular vote, along with several other possible modes of presidential election. The Virginia Plan, the very first draft of what would become the new Constitution, called for a national executive to be chosen by the national legislature. When the Constitutional Convention took up the issue for the first time, near the end of its first week of debate, Roger Sherman from Connecticut supported this parliamentary system of election, arguing that the national executive should be absolutely dependent on the legislature. Pennsylvanians James Wilson, on the other hand, called for a popular election. Virginia's George Mason thought a popular election impracticable, but hoped Wilson would have time to digest it in his own form. And another delegate suggested election by the Senate alone, and then the convention adjourned for the day. When they convened the next morning, Wilson had taken Mason's advice. He, he presented a plan to create districts and hold popular elections to choose electors. Those electors would then vote for the executive, in other words, an electoral college. But with many details left out and uncertainty remaining about the nature of the executive office, Wilson's proposal was voted down. A week later, Elbridge Jerry of Massachusetts proposed election by state governors. That, too, was voted down. And a consensus began to build. Remember, we heard about building consensus. Delegates did not support the Virginia Plan's parliamentary model because they understood that an executive selected by Congress would become subservient to Congress. A similar result they came to see could be expected from assigning the selection to any body of politicians. There were other oddball proposals that sought to salvage congressional selection. For instance, to have uh, congressmen draw lots uh, to form a group that then would choose the executive in secret. But by July 25th, it was clear to James Madison that the choice was down to two forms of popular election. The option before us, he said, is between an appointment by electors cho uh, chosen by the people and an immediate appointment by the people. Madison said he preferred popular election, but he recognized two legitimate concerns. First, people would tend toward supporting candidates from their own states. Imagine that. Giving an advantage to larger states. Second, a few areas, uh, areas with higher concentrations of voters might come to dominate. Just what leftists want today. Madison spoke positively of the idea of an electoral college, finding that there would be very little opportunity for cabal or corruption in such a system. By August 31st, the Constitution was nearly finished, except for the process of electing the president. The question was put to a committee comprised of one delegate from each of the 11 states present at the convention. That committee, which included Madison, created the Electoral College as we know it today. They presented the plan on September 4th, and it was adopted with minor changes. It's found in Article 2, Section 1, which says, Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. Federal officials were prohibited from being electors. Electors were required to cast two ballots and were prohibited from casting both ballots for candidates for their own state. 
A deadlock for president would be decided by the House of Representatives with one vote per state. Following that, in case of a deadlock for vice president, the uh, the Senate would decide. Also, under the original system, the runner-up became vice president. The last provision caused misery for President John uh, Adams in 1796 when his nemesis, Thomas Jefferson, became his vice president. Four years later, it nearly robbed Jefferson of the presidency when his unscrupulous running mate, Aaron Burr, tried to parlay an accidental deadlock into his own election by the House. The Twelfth Amendment, ratified in 1804, fixed all of this by requiring electors to cast separate votes for president and vice president. And there things stand. Constitutionally, at least, state legislatures have used their power to direct the manner of choosing electors in various ways, appointing them directly, holding elections by district, or holding statewide elections. Today, 48 states choose their presidential electors in a statewide winner-take-all vote. Maine and Nebraska elect one elector based on each congressional district's vote, and the remaining two based on the statewide vote. So it's easy for Americans to forget that when we vote for president, we're really voting for electors who have pledged to support the candidate we favor. Civics education is not what it used to be, though. Also, perhaps the Electoral College is a victim of its own success. Most of the time, it shapes American politics in ways that are beneficial but hard to see. Its effects become news only when a candidate or his or her political party lose a hard-fought and narrowly decided election. Hello, Bush. Hello, Trump. So what are the beneficial uh, effects of choosing our presidents uh, through the Electoral College? Under the Electoral uh, College system, presidential elections are decentralized taking place in the states. Although some see this as a flaw, U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren opposes the Electoral College expressly because she wants to increase federal power over elections. This decentralization is proven to be of great value. For one thing, state boundaries serve a function analogous to that of watertight compartments on an ocean liner. Disputes over mistakes or fraud are contained within individual states. Illinois can recount its votes, for instance, without triggering a nationwide recount. This was an important factor in America's messiest presidential election, which was not in 2000, but in 1876. That year marked the first time a presidential candidate won the electoral vote while losing the popular vote. It was a time of organized suppression of black voters in the South, and there were fierce disputes over vote totals in Florida, Louisiana, and South Carolina. Each of those states set Congress two sets of electoral vote totals, one favoring Republican Rutherford Hayes and the other one Democrat Samuel Tilden. Just two days before the inauguration day, Congress finished counting the votes, which included determining which votes to count, and declared Hayes the winner. Democrats proclaimed this the fraud of the century, and there is no way to be certain today, nor was there probably a way to be certain at the time, exactly which candidate truly won. At the very least, the Electoral College contained these disputes within individual states so Congress could endeavor to sort it out. And it is arguable that the Electoral College prevented a fraudulent result. Four years later, the 1880 presidential election demonstrated another benefit of the Electoral College system. It can act to amplify the results of a presidential election. The popular vote margin that year was less than 10,000 votes, about one-tenth of one percent. Yet Republican James Garfield won a resounding electoral victory 
with 214 electoral votes to Democrat Winfield Hancock's 155. There is no question who won, let alone any need for a recount. More recently, in 1992, the Electoral College boosted the legitimacy of Democrat Bill Clinton, who won with only, uh-oh, hey, why don't we hear about this? We hear about Bush. We hear about Trump. But why don't we hear about 1992, when the Electoral College and Democrat Bill Clinton, he won with only 43% of the popular vote, but he received over 68% of the electoral vote. But you don't hear a peep from leftists about that, do you? But there's no doubt the greatest benefit of the Electoral College is the powerful incentive it creates against regionalism. Here, the presidential elections of 1888 and 1892 are most instructive. For example, in 1888, incumbent Democrat President Grover Cleveland lost re-election despite receiving a popular vote plurality. He won this plurality because he won by very large margins in the overwhelmingly Democratic South. He won Texas alone by 146,000 votes, for, exa- uh, for example, whereas his national popular vote margin was only 94,000. Altogether, he won in six southern states with margins greater than 30%, while only tiny little Vermont delivered a victory percentage of that size for Republican Benjamin Harrison. In other words, the Electoral College ensures that winning supermajorities in one region of the country is not sufficient to win the White House. After the Civil War, and especially after the end of Reconstruction, that meant that the Democrat Party had to appeal to interests outside the South in order to earn earn a majority in the Electoral College. And indeed, when Grover Cleveland ran again for president four years later, in 1892, although he won by a smaller percentage of the popular vote, he won a resounding Electoral College majority by picking up New York, Illinois, Indiana, Wisconsin, and California, in addition to winning the South. So, whether we see it or not today... The Electoral College continues to push parties and presidential candidates to build broad coalitions. Critics say the swing states get too much attention, leaving voters in so-called safe states feeling left out. But the legitimacy of a political party rests on all of those safe states, on places that the party's already won, allowing it to reach farther out. In 2000, for example, George Bush needed every state that he won, not just Florida, to become president. Of course, the Electoral College does put a premium on the states in which the parties are most evenly divided. But would it really be better if the path to the presidency primarily meant driving up the vote total in the deepest red or the deepest blue states? Also, swing states are the states most likely to have divided government. And if divided government is good for anything, it's for accountability. So, With the Electoral College system, when we do wind up with a razor-thin margin in an election, it is likely to happen in a state where both parties hold some power rather than in a state controlled by one party. Folks, does this sound even remotely like California to to you? By the way, that's California spelled with a K. Well, it should. We'll be right back after this. Conservative media done right you're listening to the shr media network for 50 years i've seen the american people blinded 
by corrupt politicians, a lapdog media, and deceptive Islam. The one thing the elites fear is one man with a cane. I'm Dave Milner. Join me through Spreaker, iTunes, and SoundCloud, through SHR Media, and the Western Free Radio Network for half a century of experienced perspective on political and social issues, weekly on The Unpleasant Blind Guy. And catch me on Jeff Mitchell's EDL Radio on blogtalkradio.com. There's no surrender ever. Because truth is not always pleasant. It's your business diva here, Melanie Collette. I am inviting you to a front row seat as I discuss some of the most intriguing details of wealth and finance with today's movers and shakers in the world of business. Listen in and discover financial truths on a global, domestic, and household scale. Uncover topics that will impact your wallet today and in the future. Money Talk with Melanie airs Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. East, 2 p.m. West, right here on SHR Media and High Plains Pundit Talk Radio. You can't afford to miss it. From a public locker inside a dilapidated Long Island rail station comes a show designed to piss off liberals using truth, facts, and ridicule. The Lid Radio Show, featuring the conservative voice from the People's Republic of New York, the Lid himself, Jeff Dunnett. Tune in every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the SHR Media Network. Go to shrmedia.com. At Lid Radio, we fight for the truth, justice, and a good kosher T-bone. If you don't listen, Hillary Clinton might sneak into your bedroom in her house coat late at night and blame you for her election loss. It's the Lid Radio Show with Jeff Dunnitz. Hey girls, Carry Girl Gear is here. More and more women every day are concealed carrying, participating in competitive shooting, and getting firearms training. It's not a boys club anymore, and we don't have to shop in their stores anymore either. Finally, a cool and unique clothing line just for women. Dope tees and hats for the patriotic concealed carry and 2A girl. So what are you waiting for? Go check out carrygirlgear.com today. Broadcasting behind enemy lines in occupied California, a mere two miles from the state capital, the bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon Radio Show can be heard every Tuesday and Thursday night at 8 p.m. Pacific and 11 p.m. Eastern, only on the SHR Media Network. Go to shrmedia.com to listen. You can also watch on the SHR Media Facebook page and the SHR Media YouTube channel. No goldfish were abused in the making of this ad. show on the SHR Media Network, Sackheads Against Tyranny, on shrmedia.com. Go there quick like a bunny, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, every Wednesday, live and direct on the SHR Media Network, shrmedia.com. Be there. Hey, this is Michael Wright. And I'm Shannon Wright. Join us for The Right Way with Shannon and Mike. Monday through Thursday from 7 to 9 a.m. right here on SHR Media. Why are they joining us? For fun things like sports, politics, 
Oh, maybe some news and entertainment? And all kinds of other things. Money and recipes and events, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, so join us Monday through Thursday, 7 to 9 a.m. here on shrmedia.com. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Wow. It's the final 25, the final 25 minutes in the show. Just as I told uh, Lee Howard Rhodes, candidate for Democrat president in 2020 next year, I said, dude, your hour will seem to go by as though it is a mere fleeting butterfly. Oh, I, I learned something very important last night from Sackheads Clint. What is a group of butterflies called? Like it's called a murder of crows. What are a group of butterflies called? I love this. It's called a kaleidoscope of butterflies. I thought that was great. I was going over an article about the Electoral College by a man named Trent England, and he gave a speech at Hillsdale College talking about the necessity of the Electoral College, and he continues, Despite these benefits of the current system, opponents of the Electoral College maintain it is unseemly for a candidate to win without receiving the most popular votes. Now, as Hillary Clinton seemed to put it in 2000, in a democracy, stop. Everybody that's listening right now, question for you, because you've heard Professor Michael Jones speak at length about this. Is the United States a democracy? Anybody in chat, Bueller, those of you listening in podcast, the American truckers who are listening to me right now live or listening in podcast, hold your hands up. Is America a democracy? Well, Hillary Clinton seems to think so. She said, in a democracy, we should respect the will of the people. And to me, that means it's time to do away with the Electoral College. Yet similar systems prevail around the world. In parliamentary systems, including Canada, Israel, and the United Kingdom, prime ministers are elected by the legislature. This happens in Germany and India as well. Oh, leftists love these places which also have presidents who are elected by something similar to an electoral college. In none of these democratic systems is the national popular vote decisive. Uh-oh. More to the point, in our own political tradition, what matters most about every legislative body, from our state legislatures to the House of Representatives and the Senate, is which party holds the majority. That party elects the leadership and sets the agenda. In none of these representative chambers... Does the aggregate popular vote determine who's in charge? Imagine that. What matters is winning districts or states. Nevertheless, there is a clamor of voices calling for an end to the Electoral College. Remember when former Attorney General Eric Holder declared it a vestige of the past, and Washington Governor Jay Inslee labeled it an archaic relic of a bygone age. Almost as one, the current myriad of Democratic presidential hopefuls have called for abolishing the Electoral College. Few, if any, of these Democrats likely realize how similar their party's position is to what it was in the late 19th century with California representing today what the South was for the forebears. The Golden State, 
accounted for 10.4% of presidential votes cast in 2016, while the southern states from South Carolina, uh, South Carolina down to Florida and across to Texas, all of those states accounted for 10.6%, 10.4%, California, 10.6% for um, gee, all of those southern states from South Carolina down to Florida and across to Texas. That was in 1888. Grover Cleveland won these southern states by nearly 39%, while Hillary Clinton won California by 30%. But rather than following Cleveland's example of building a broader national coalition that could win in the Electoral College, today's Democrats would rather just change the rules. Anti-Electoral College amendments with bipartisan support in the 1950s and 1970s failed to receive the two-thirds votes in Congress they needed in order to be sent to the states for consideration. Likewise, today, partisan amendments will not make it through Congress, nor if they did, could they win ratification among the states. But there is a very serious threat to the Electoral College. Until recently, it has gone mostly unnoticed, and it was because it's made its way through various state legislatures. If it works according to its supporters' intent, it would nullify the Electoral College by creating a de facto direct election for president. And that's what the leftists are doing, attempting to make runarounds so that they win in perpetuity. Period. End of statement. The National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, or NPV, takes advantage of the flexibility granted to uh, state legislatures in the Constitution. Quote, each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors. The original intent of this was to allow state legislators to determine how best to represent their state in presidential elections. The electors represent the state, not just the legislature even though the latter is power to direct the manner of appointment. By contrast, NPV supporters argue that this power allows state legislatures to ignore their state's voters and appoint electors based on the national popular vote. This is what the compact would require states to do. Of course, no state would do this unilaterally, so NPV has a trigger. It only takes effect if adopted by enough states to control, guess what? 270 electoral votes, the magic number. In other words, a majority that would control the outcome of presidential elections. So far, 14 states and the District of Columbia have signed on with a total of 189 electoral votes. They're not that terribly far away. Until this year, every state that had joined NPV was heavily Democratic. California, Connecticut, Hawaii... Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Washington. The NPV campaign has struggled to win other Democratic states. Delaware only adopted it this year, and it still has not passed in Oregon, although it may soon. Following the 2018 election, Democrats came into control of both the legislatures and the governorships in the purple states of Colorado and New Mexico, which have subsequently, imagine that, joined NPV. NPV would have the same effect as abolishing the Electoral College. Fraud in one state would affect every state. And the only way to deal with it... Now, do you think... Stop right there. Do you think that's a massive invitation for leftists to cheat? I think you can see that logical extension and conclusion, can't you? Hmm. 
Fraud in one state would affect every state. And the only way to deal with it would be to give more power to the federal government. Let's see. I think that's what leftists already want. Elections that are especially close would require nationwide recounts. Candidates could win based on intense support from a narrow region or from big cities, and everybody else can go to hell. NPV also carries its own unique risks. Despite its name, the plan cannot actually create a national popular vote. Each state would still, at least for the time being, run its own elections. This means a patchwork of rules for everything from candidates that are on the ballot to how disputes are settled. NPV would also reward states with lax election laws. The higher the turnout, legal or not, the more power for that state. Finally, each NPV state would certify its own national vote total. But what would happen when there are charges of skullduggery? Would states really tw- would states really trust with no power to verify other states' returns? Imagine that. Uncertainty and litigation would likely follow. In fact, NPV is probably unconstitutional. For one thing, it, it ignores the Article 1, Section 10 requirement that interstate compacts receive congressional consent. There's also the fact that the structure of the Electoral College Clause of the Constitution implies that there is some limit on the power of state legislatures to ignore the will of their state's people. One danger of all of these attacks on the Electoral College is, of course, that we lose the state-by-state system designed by the framers and its protections against regionalism and fraud. This would alter our politics in some obvious ways, shifting power towards urban centers, for example, but also in ways we cannot know in advance. Would an increase in presidents who win by small pluralities lead to a rise of splinter parties and spoiler candidates? Would fears of election fraud in places like Chicago and Broward County lead to demands for greater federal control over elections? These are great questions. The more fundamental danger is that these attacks undermine the Constitution as a whole. Arguments that the Constitution is outmoded and that democracy is an end to itself are arguments that can just as easily be turned against any of the constitutional checks and balances that have preserved free government in America for well over two centuries. The measure of our fundamental law is not whether it actualizes the general will. That was the point of the French Revolution, not the American. The measure of our Constitution is whether it is effective at encouraging just, stable, and free government, government that protects the rights of its citizens. The Electoral College, Trent England writes, is effective at doing this. We need to preserve it, and we need to help our fellow Americans understand why it matters. One very important video came out that's I want to play for you now. It's a compilation of a bunch of leftists talking about Joe Biden. But essentially what they did in doing this is provide fodder for the Trump campaign. So what you're about to hear is a video about two minutes in length crafted by the Trump campaign, but it's a collection of voices from the left 
who are talking about or talking smack, shall we say, about Joe Biden. So it ended up being a wonderful campaign video for Donald Trump. So it's called Joe Biden. You just wonder. Obama reportedly told Joe Biden directly, quote, you don't have to do this, Joe. You really don't. That is not a joke. That is a natural fact. I think Biden looked unsteady at many points. Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The the, the phone. He's not the most polished speaker anymore. The president thinks, my friend from Vermont thinks that. Watching his long winding answers that don't really make sense in recent debates has also raised the question as to whether that has gotten worse and whether he is up for this. The fact is that the bills that the president, that, excuse me, the future president here. There's a lot of people who are concerned about uh, Joe Biden's ability to carry the ball all the way across the end line without fumbling. Go to Joe 30330. He looked kind of unsteady and almost deer in the headlights. So what are we doing? What's going on right now? He's not that good at this. I mean, he's clearly not that strong a candidate thinking on his feet. Anyway, my time's up. I'm sorry. I think there are some concerns. self And That's they've, been man- they've been expressed by Democrats themselves. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Over <laughs> whether Joe Biden is equipped to withstand a very grueling campaign. We choose truth over facts. Joe Biden was really <laughs> shaky, both because he was stumbling through his answers. I'm the vice president of the United States. And also because the substance of those answers hasn't really gotten better. Those details are irrelevant. I think we're going to see growing questions, wondering if he has the mental and physical stamina to get through this campaign. I love this place. I love, look, what's not to like about Vermont in terms of the beauty of it? And what a neat town. Obama warned Biden's aides to make sure Biden didn't embarrass himself. Imagine what would have happened if, God forbid, Barack Obama had been assassinated. Real conversation that is happening among what? Democrats. Has he lost a step? Uh, is he is he too shaky? I, I want to be clear. I'm not going nuts. There are definitely moments where you listen to Joe Biden and you just wonder. Yeah. Joe Biden. You you just wonder. Had to play that for you tonight. There's another story that just came out today. And already the gun world is alight with this thing. And some people are proffering various and sundry explanations as to why this happened. It's ranging from the political to the the production end of things you may or may not have heard today that colt has decided that it's going to suspend production of the ar-15 for the civilian market that just came out today gunmaker colt is suspending its production of rifles for the civilian market me and you including the popular ar-15 the company said thursday today In a shift, it attributed to changes in consumer demand and a market already saturated with similar weapons. Stop. What's the first thing that you just thought of when I mentioned this? The first thing that I thought of was, okay, Colt is caving and leftists are making progress against our Second Amendment. Let's continue with the story. The company said it's going to focus instead on fulfilling uh, contracts with military and police customers for rifles. 
the demand by the police is not that fabulous and it's not that huge because if you happen to buy an AR or a similar weapon, a similar rifle, semi-automatic, those things are fairly bulletproof and they'll last for quite some time. I can't say as I'm necessarily buying that. The article continues, The fact of the matter is that over the last few years, the market for modern sporting rifles has experienced significant excess manufacturing capacity. So that's what Colt is officially chalking it up to, excess manufacturing capacity. Colt's chief executive officer, Dennis Velu, said in a written statement, Given this level of manufacturing capacity, we believe there's adequate supply for modern sporting rifles for the foreseeable future. Now, he said the company, which emerged from bankruptcy in 2016, remains committed to the Second Amendment. He said that, trying to please both sides. He said the company is expanding its lines of pistols and revolvers. Well, that's true. They haven't had a a series of revolvers in quite some time. And, of course, they're the manufacturer of the classic 1911. Despite a national debate on gun control, Colt's decision seems driven by business considerations rather than politics. Hmm. Who said that? Well, a guy named Adam Winkler a gun policy expert at the University of California. Hmm, University of California, Los Angeles School of Law. This is interesting. FBI statistics show more than 2.3 million people applied for background checks to purchase guns in August. That's last month, folks. Up from just over 1. million in July. Now, why do you think people are applying more for guns? Could it possibly be because all the leftists in the world are saying, whereas before, a year ago, two years ago, they're saying, and you were considered a tinfoil hat-wearing moronic fool. We're not coming for your guns. What, what stupid moron would say we're coming for your guns? You stupid rednecks, we're not. Yeah, we're coming for your guns. And now they make no bones about it. We're coming for your guns. Gun sales usually go up when gun buyers feel the access to such weapons are being threatened, Winkler said. Stop. Okay, what is the motivation for Colt here? Is it them trying to appease both sides of the aisle? Yes, we support the Second Amendment. We're not going to be making the AR for civilians anymore. Um... And, well, won't that make people on the left happy? Well, sure it will. They're, they're, and Colt says, well, we'll probably continue to make parts. So if, you have, if you're worried about a part, we still will we'll make parts for you. And don't, don't get us wrong. We're continuing to sell to the military and also to law enforcement as well. Does it sound to you like they're attempting to placate Both sides. I don't know. Now, they've said this is temporary. Pending, well, okay. Let me throw this out as well. What is this going to do to the price of an AR-15? Do you possibly think that the price of AR-15s are going to, the prices are going to skyrocket? 
supply and demand. So that just came out today for cold. Here's another interesting aspect that you may or may not have heard. There was a mechanic who, it's just a quinky dink that he was a Muslim, uh, accused of sabotaging a passenger debt, uh, jet and on American Airlines, and he may have ties to ISIS. All right, meanwhile, on to this chilling new development on the mechanic, charged with sabotaging an American Airlines jet. Now the FBI has found evidence of possible ties to ISIS. Phil Keating is live in Miami with that. Phil. Sandra, until Wednesday, this case was never tied to a possible terrorism-related motive, but that is the suggestive evidence presented in court yesterday downtown Miami by U.S. prosecutors, and the result, bond denied. The American Airlines mechanic accused of sabotaging a commercial airliner with 150 passengers on board had his detention hearing yesterday. The federal magistrate ordered Abdul Majid Maruf Ahmed Alani to remain in custody, saying she has evidence to suggest he could be sympathetic. Okay, how many times did he practice that name? I would have had to do it at least 10 times. The terrorists. In court, prosecutors revealed that FBI agents found ISIS videos on his phone showing graphic killings and that he forwarded one video to someone with the urging for Allah to take revenge against all non-Muslims. Also, according to an American Airlines co-worker, Ahmed Alani told him that his brother was in Iraq and a member of ISIS, and that he flew to Baghdad in March to visit, which the FBI says he lied about to them. In July, the Miami to Nassau flight turned what? back before taking off after an error light with the navigation system appeared in the cockpit. According to the pilot, without a functioning navigation system, it would have resulted in a crash. However, Ahmed Alani's defense attorney said in court yesterday that is not true as the second navigation system still worked and that the government is blowing this case out of proportion. Ahmed Alani's family flew into Miami for yesterday's bond hearing, saying nothing to the media afterwards. 60-year-old Ahmed Alani was born in Iraq and is a naturalized U.S. citizen. He's charged with one count of willfully damaging, destroying, or disabling an aircraft. He admits he sabotaged a plane, telling investigators he was upset with stalled contract negotiations between his union and American, right. and that he thought if he could force the plane back to get a mechanical problem fixed, he'd get more work and thus more overtime, which in fact did happen. If convicted, he faces a maximum federal prison sentence of 20 years. He will be back in federal court downtown Miami tomorrow for his arraignment. Hey, come on, listen. He's not a terrorist. All he want, he's just an innocent guy trying to make ends meet because he wanted the overtime. That makes sense to me, doesn't it? I'll end with this. Also, today, from, uh, let's see, where was this? Uh, New York. A New Jersey man was indicted for scouting, again, New York City locations for Hezbollah. That's what the DOJ says. A 42-year-old man from Morristown, New Jersey, was charged Thursday by the Department of Justice for offenses related to his support for the militant group Hezbollah that include scouting locations across New York City, according to DOJ. Alex Saab, also known as Rashid, faces nine counts on terror activities as well as separate marriage fraud offenses. Like some other Ilhan Omar we know. huh? Saab is accused of serving as an operative for Hezbollah, and conducting surveillance of possible target locations to help them potentially prepare for future attacks 
in America. Folks, I'm telling you, two things that you can take to the bank. Rust never sleeps and Muslims never sleep. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, thanks for listening to the Bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon radio show right here, live and direct, on the SHR Media Network. If you want to contact me, you can find me on Twitter at BZEP, at B-Z-E-P. Also on my blog at bloviatingzeppelin.net. Promotional consideration is by the Lockheed Martin Skunk Works. Don't know how long the Boeing company is going to support me or I'm going to support them. If it ain't Boeing, I ain't going. Not sure. But particularly sure of Pratt & Whitney Engines Thrust. You can trust. Tiaras are by My Little Pony. Thanks to my personal KC-135 Kettle One refueling team with whom I shall be consorting. Take it to the bank in less than an hour. Thanks to you ever so kindly for listening live. Thanks to Lee Howard Rhodes, 2020 Democrat candidate for President of the United States. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to everybody in chat. Thanks to people who play me in podcast. Have a great weekend. Great weekend. God bless. Take care. Be safe. Everybody quiet down now and get some sleep. Good night, everybody. Good night, Mama. Good night, Ben. Good night, everyone. Good night, Daddy. Good night, children. Good night, Daddy. Good night, Elizabeth. Good night, Jim Boy. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob. What's going on? I was asleep. What's everybody doing? Good night, Jim Bob. Good night. And good luck. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.